all the different problems and all the different requests that we ask the Lord to, to give us the freedom. We know for sure when we put them in your hands, when we put it in the great king hands, everything will be all right. So Lord, give us faith. Give us determination. Give us um, persistence, Lord, so that we will continue to press forward. Because we all know in a little while from now, we're going to see the great king. So dear Lord, help us to be faithful. And help us, Lord, that when we shall see the, the eastern sky burst, help us, dear Lord, that we will not run to the rock for hiding place. But we all will say, Lord, this is our God. This is our God. We have long, long waited for you. So Lord, save us into your kingdom. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen. 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 I'm very delighted to introduce Pastor Wayne Erasmus to our congregation. Um, I was very happy when he agreed uh, to be one of our uh, Week of Prayer speakers. Uh, thank uh, uh, Braintree leader, Elder uh, Robert, uh, for choosing him, and he is the right person. And um, thank you, Pastor uh, Wine, for accepting this uh, invitation to be one of our speakers, even for today. Um, Church, uh, Pastor Wine is a very humble man of God. I respect him, and he is one of the very honored uh, pastors in the South England Conference. And at this moment, he is the Church Growth Director of South England Conference. Just one thing um, I would like to share with you. Uh, you know, he is the, he's, um, the man of passion uh, to start groups and church plants. And in fact, there was a time that we were quite perplexed to see the holistic church, um, the balanced church, how to see in the perspective of uh, a holistic church. So he introduced something called NCD, Natural Church Development. And he's working with uh, uh, Sister Lynn. Okay, Brain Tree Church may know her very well. And very soon, Malden will also get to know her. And he's the one who really encouraged all the groups and church plants to understand the holistic perspective of the church. And the credit will certainly uh, go to uh, Pastor Wayne Erasmus. And therefore, uh, uh, once again, it is my privilege uh, to welcome Pastor uh, Wayne Erasmus to our midst to uh, speak the word of God. Uh, and uh, on behalf of our uh, Basildon, Shamsworth, Braintree, Malden, Pastor Erasmus, please take our greetings to your uh, family 
and may the Lord bless you and may the Lord bless your family and ministry. God bless you. And this is your time, Pastor. Thank you, Pastor Melky. Uh, and uh, good evening, everyone. It's lovely to see you this evening. Um, and quite a, a, a warm group. I'm, I'm looking around um, and I, it's a privilege for me to have a little glimpse into your homes. Um, uh, that's the one danger of these meetings, of course, is that um, uh, we, we kind of invite one another, as it were, into our, into our homes, into our spaces. And, um, and we're a little bit vulnerable that way. I think as I was looking around, I saw a couple of, um, of, of copper pictures uh, that I recognize from my growing up years in, um, in Zimbabwe. So I, I think there are one or two folk who, who share that background with me. I wanted to, to take you to um, a little story in the Gospel of Luke this evening. Uh, it's found in Luke chapter 8, and uh, I'll read for you from the New International Version. Um, it's just a few verses. We'll pick it up. Uh, in the second part of verse 42, and we'll read to verse 48. That's Luke chapter 8, second part of, of verse 42. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all of the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. We're thinking this week around the theme of the purposeful journey. Um, and I'm, I'm struck as I think about this lady and I think about her journey. And, and I wonder to myself how she would characterize it. Would it be something that, that in, her, in her mind, in her experience, was um, a, a, an easy journey, a difficult journey? Uh, what complexities had become part of her story? In, in what ways um, was she trying to find renewal, uh, restoration, uh, perhaps a word we would want to put in there, some kind of revival in her life, uh, an opportunity to be free once more, free to, to grow, to, to live her life in, in the way that, that she would envision it, to, to live what we might call today her best life, to live up to all the expectations that she had, and how much of that expectation and how much of that um, of the weight of her experience had had meant that even perhaps in her faith or in her day-to-day experience, that sense of being able to come up for air, to be able to, 
to live and to live with an open and free heart had had been crushed from her. You know, 12 years is a long time to be sick. We talk a little bit, uh, you know, from time to time with people we, we trust and that we're comfortable sharing with about our illnesses, about our the things that are, um, are, are, are challenging for us. And uh, some of us do, in fact, live with illnesses, with, with um, uh, conditions that, that are with us for a long period of time. Twelve years is indeed a long period of time. And in fact, as we go through the story, we find that, that um, 12 years represents pretty much for this lady a, a lifetime. And 12 years when you're, when you're living life and it's going well can go by in the blink of an eye. Um, my daughters are now 16 and, and 18. And it seems like just the other day they were three and five when we moved to the United Kingdom. You know, just little girls who, who would come and sit on my lap and, and would want to talk about all the, the exciting things in preschool and show me the pictures they'd painted and so on. And now they're teenagers and uh, they have their rooms and they have their, their uh, social media and they have their things. And, and uh, I'm so glad we still sit at the table together as a family because then while they don't quite sit on my lap, we still have conversations and, and we, we can share what's happening in our lives. But 12 years can be a lifetime of memories. Um, it can represent the hopes and aspirations of a family. It can speak of a future that was dreamed of and, and, and of something that is lost. And as we, we come into this story in the Gospel of Luke, I would, I would want to suggest to ourselves that instead of finding, identifying as the woman or, or identifying as Jairus, whom, whom, who is just before this story and just after, but is very much connected to this story, Instead of being a disciple, I wonder if we could see ourselves in the crowd of people, those that are, are gathering around Jesus. He's coming to town. There's a bit of a buzz. Stuff is going on. We're excited to see what's happened. We've heard that he's done stuff in the past. And in the crowd, we're there hoping to see, is he going to do something in our town today? What is Jesus going to do today? What, will I be close enough to see? Will I, be a, will I be able to hear his actual words? What is the story I will be able to tell when I get home tonight, when I, when I meet my neighbors or when we stand in the afternoon and have a cup of tea over the fence? Um, you know, what, what are the things that, oh, do you, you heard about that? Oh, yeah, I was there. Yeah, yeah. And this is what happened. And, and this is what I saw. And this is, and this is what was happening around me as it, as Jesus was doing this and that and the other thing. Because as we go through the Gospels, we find that often that's what the crowd is doing. The crowd is gathering to try to, to be uh, in the front row seats, if you like. Those who get to see first what Jesus is doing. Those who, who get the first-hand information. Those who have a story to tell. And, uh, and that's not a bad place to want to be. It's, it's an excellent thing to want to be where Jesus is working, where Jesus is busy. But as the story begins to unfold, perhaps we who are in the crowd begin to discover that actually there's something a little odd happening today. And it happens from time to time with the crowds in the stories of Jesus. That while we in our own minds are thinking, 
I have a ringside seat. I have front row access to what is happening as Jesus works in my town today. We discover that instead of being privileged with those seats, we are in fact something of a, of a hindrance, of an obstruction. We are stopping something from happening. We are getting in the way. We are uh, the very thing that we have come to see. We are perhaps inhibiting. And that's a strange thought for us, to think that we who are so desperate to see God do something, to see what he will accomplish um, here among us and in front of us, are sometimes the, the reason that some things perhaps are delayed or, or made more complicated because we get in the way of the very thing that we want to see. But for whom are we in the way? How, how is it possible that we are in the way? You see, once again, it is the crowd that not only surrounds with awe, but it also separates with it ignorance. Think of the story of Zacchaeus. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd. It was the crowd, anxious to see Jesus do something wonderful, that was inadvertently getting in the way of something wonderful happening with, with Zacchaeus. And if it weren't for the climbing of the tree story, perhaps who knows what, what might have happened. How can it be that we become the ones who block the very thing that we are there to witness? Why would we want to get in the way of the extraordinary and the profound when all we want to see with our eyes is the extraordinary and the profound? And as we're in the crowd that day, we wouldn't know it, but 12 years of life are on the line. Two women one younger, one older, hover between life and death while we press around Jesus to see, to hear, and to witness. It is imperceptible to us because we're being jostled and, and bumped around by everybody trying to get a better view of whatever might be happening. But two people are making their way toward Jesus making their way through the crowd, trying to fight their way through to find where he is, to get to him so that they can share their, their hopes, their aspirations, their need with Jesus. Both are looking for some kind of a revival in their lives, some kind of restoration. Both are deeply weighed down with cares, with worries, with concerns. And in the case of the older woman, not only does she have her illness to struggle with, but the scriptures tell us that she has, and the Gospel of Mark says, that she has spent all her resources and people have taken that even knowing that they couldn't help her. So she has also been exploited. Everything that she has turned to, every way she has turned, has drained her rather than filled her. Today might be her last opportunity, her last resort, to find the kind of refreshing, the kind of renewing, the kind of revival that she needs in her life. The other, making 
his way to Jesus is Jairus, who is a ruler or a leader in the local synagogue. As a man of privilege, he has some muscle to help him. He's able to make his way to Jesus by position, by power, but he is also desperate because time is not on his side. The life of his daughter hangs in the balance. Likely, she's been unwell for longer than just a few hours. And quite possibly, if ever the two might have spoken, the woman and Jairus, they may have found that they too have stories to tell about the local doctors and what had happened. And maybe they would have had been able to lodge a joint complaint to the local medical board. But that doesn't happen um, in this story. Perhaps they share more in common than they would know. And it makes me wonder, is it possible that, there, that we hold more in common in our stories, in our desire, in our search, in our, in our need for refreshing and revival um, than we realize? We have, there's no record of Jairus and this woman ever having a conversation. But in my imagination, I wonder, what, how would that work? And what might they share? And what might they learn about their commonalities and, and their, their common journey? The woman, without belaboring the point too much, has been essentially on her menstrual cycle for 12 years. And for some of us, particularly us gentlemen, we may not really have an appreciation for, for what that means, but that's 4,383 days and 144 months. 624 weeks, 105,192 hours. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of time. And if it were just the physicality of the experience, that would be one thing. But this lady has essentially been unclean for 12 years. That means that she could not touch somebody else without making them unclean. Nobody could hug her. Nobody could put an arm around her shoulder. She couldn't go to the assemblies, to the synagogues. She couldn't engage in the ceremonies. It had been 12 years since she likely enjoyed Passover or Sabbath services. 12 years since she had been able to stand before the high priest and have her sins forgiven on Yom Kippur. 12 years to carry the emotional and psychological baggage of being unclean, untouchable, no hugs, kisses, no intimacy from a husband, even if she still had one. She couldn't prepare her family's food. She could not do housework. Nobody could sit on the same chair she had sat on. She couldn't be a wife. She couldn't be a mother. She had become isolated because of her illness. Can we begin, even in our wildest imaginations, to, be un to understand the depth of restoration, renewal, refreshing, revival that this woman needed in her life? You know, sometimes it's only as we begin to hear one another's stories that we can begin to appreciate what revival means for one another. This is a desperate woman. She's tried everything she can think of to deal with her heartache. 
Yes, she has spent everything she has. She is at she is at her limit. There is nothing more she can give or do. And all of that is present in her backstory as she makes her way through the crowd. She really shouldn't be there in truth. She was she was breaking so many rules about her illness and about cleanliness by being amongst so many people. Bumping up against them, they were becoming unclean even without knowing it. She should have alerted them. She should have declared it to people. And in deference, she should have at least stayed away. But instead, here she is, jostling through the crowd, trying to make her way to Jesus. And in the end, all she is able to do is to reach out and touch the fringe or the hem of his garment. Her belief, I suspect, is not so much in the ability of the fabric as it is in the power of Jesus. She has the sense that if she can just touch him in some way, then her uncleanness will be gone. Her life situation is more than just an issue of blood. Her life situation is about isolation, about separation from other human beings, but also this constant message that she was also separated from God. Her illness within the thinking of her time meant that she was separated from God. I don't know how this woman managed to keep her life together if you consider all that she was struggling with. This is the kind of person that you want to take your hat off to, a person that you want to kind of uh, honor and respect for, this, for their story and their determination. And so when Jesus calls out to her and he makes a bit of a scene, we must remember that Jesus is not trying to embarrass her, but he is wanting everybody to know that she has been restored. He, she has lived out of the public eye. She has lived, lived on the edges on the fringes, if you like, of society. She has become a nobody. But in order to find restoration, she would have to go to the priest. A priest would have to inspect her, and he would have to declare that she was well. By Jesus telling her story in front of everyone, he gives her, he spares her that, that experience. And he gives her the platform to step into the life that she has been longing for for so long. She will not have to convince anyone of her healing. Jesus has declared it. And in a few words, he restores her to public and private life. And she is restored to a full life with God. She is renewed. She is refreshed. She is revived. You know, Jesus gave her her life back that day. And not long after the saving on the road, he gives life to the 12-year-old daughter of Jairus in her home. And it's interesting that Jesus uses the same word for the woman and for the young girl. He calls them my daughter, my little child, or my lamb. And it's only used these two times in Scripture. They are gentle words, tender words, compassionate words.
for these two women whose names we don't know, they find a particular kind of re revival uh, in their lives. When I think of that word, I think of of things being brought back from the edge. I think some of you uh, are, are gardeners. Um, I recently took on an allotment. Now, I don't have to do so much watering in this time of the year. Things are more likely to be drowning from the rain than, than uh, from my watering. But there are times when I can go out to that allotment and see everything looking a little, a little um, droopy. They are in need of refreshing and revival. If I don't do something for them, those plants will die from lack of water. When we think of revival and when I think of it for myself, I wonder what are the things like in this lady's life that weigh us down, that droop our heads and droop our shoulders? What are the weights that are on our shoulders that we carry seen and unseen, that, that bow us low, not in worship, um, but, but, but with a sense of being drained, with a sense of not being able to stand up straight, not being able to live the life that we were meant to live. There are so many things uh, that can be that uh, for us. So for some, it may be illness. For some, it may be other more personal or private struggles. For some, it may have to do with the systems in which we live. We have to be mindful that when we call for revival and refreshing in people's lives, that, that we are also calling for a revival and a refreshing in the circumstances that weigh them down. And like Jesus engages with this woman, part of that whole and holistic experience is to address not only her relationship with God, but to recognize that there are implications in the wider way in which she lives. What are the burdens that need to be lifted from us? What are the weights that need to be removed from the shoulders of men and women, boys and girls, as we seek to live with renewed, refreshed and revived uh, experience? Here's the wonderful truth lived out in this story, that Jesus, the Holy One, the clean one, the pure one, was not made unclean by the woman's touch. He was not defiled or contaminated by our contact. And as we reach out to him, perhaps even as we brush the fringe of his garment, it is not he who becomes unclean, but we who become clean. The slightest touch has the potential to radically change a life. And perhaps touch is kind of a sensitive point for those of us living, shielding in lockdown, recognizing that there are people that we long to be around, that uh, I think of grandparents who, who would just be so pleased to get a hug and a cuddle from a grandchild uh, who lives further away, and you've gone without it for such a long time. What a refreshing and renewing experience that would be. Um, I long to see my sister who lives in Scotland. Um, it would be lovely to see her again, give her a big hug. But for the time being, we're separated. If you can just grab that little sense of how wonderful it would be to enjoy that kind of, of interaction again, you can get a sense of what it must have been for this lady in her 12 years of illness. But you also have a sense of 
of the the release and and the the joy with which she was able to enter the next phase of her life with a sense of being refreshed renewed and restored and so i pray for you that this this little story um, the story of, of a woman who had been ill um, is not just a sort of a two-dimensional thing on the page of Scripture, but an affirmation to you that, that we are valuable, that as human beings we have value. We are not rubbish. God is interested in us. There is, there is hope. There is community. Perhaps you find yourself on the edge of it, and perhaps you find yourself maybe sometimes even on the edge of faith. Perhaps you are reaching out for both community and a savior. Please be encouraged that Jesus is still the God of the fringes. Pastor Malky. Yeah, thank you, Pastor. Yeah, and Robert will continue. Thank you so much, Pastor Wayne, for that uh, wonderful message to us this morning. Um, now we ask that um, you uh, lead us in the meditational prayer, please. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Shall we pray? Father, sometimes the, the stories of Scripture seem remote, um, like they really are just long-ago stories, and, and yet there are moments when they have the potential to leap off the pages and to become our own story. Here in, in our own experience with uh, COVID and lockdown and rule of six and, and then our households on their own and, and how everything keeps changing around us, um, the sense of being separated and, and parted from community, from loved ones, uh, we can suddenly have a huge amount of empathy uh, for the lady in the story. We don't know her name, but perhaps in that way she represents all of us. Weighed down by, by burdens, by experiences, by ways of thinking, by attitudes and beliefs that convey to us that we not only are separated from um, other human beings, or that there might be something defective or faulty with us, but that we are also separated from you, that you perhaps are not interested or care somewhat less about us. Thank you for the reminder through the story that you are, you are able to, to cut through the, the hindrances, the blockades, the, the things that that inevitably try and get in the way between us and you, and that your greatest desire is for a refreshing, a restoring, a renewing, and a reviving in each of our lives. 
We pray that our experience may be similar to this lady. As we reach out to you and as we reach out through community, may we have a sense of your renewing, uh, restoring and reviving power in our lives. To cut through the, the things that hinder us, the weights that hold us back, the ideas and beliefs that keep you at a distance. We pray that as we, we join together uh, in this week of prayer, of reflection, of, of collective desire to see you work in our lives and to work in the lives of those around us. May we be among those who enable, who strengthen, and who, like the, the disciple Andrew, was always on the lookout for those who needed a closer connection with you. So we thank you again for the scriptures and for the stories that speak to us. Bless us, renew us, restore us, and revive us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now it's time for a meditational song, The Potter's Hand.
Now it's uh, time for personal um, testimonies of answered prayer. And we ask Brother David, if you would uh, give your testimony, please. Brother David, are you there? Sorry, yeah, I should be. Yes, please. Can you hear me now? Yes, yes, it's your time. Yes. Uh, it was lovely uh, to hear that lovely story of the miracles of Jesus. My story, and uh, we look to those stories in the Bible. But, you know, sometimes we forget the miracles that can happen today. And I hope my story will inspire you all as it is inspired to me. I've been blessed in my life and been blessed many times. And I can tell you many stories and many testimonies. But this one is the most recent and the most my favourite story. Um, in case you don't know me, um, they call me Brother David, but I am the Muffin Man. And most of my friends in the church know me as the Muffin Man. I'm married to a wonderful Christian lady called Wendy, and she has a cousin called Terry, and his wife, his name is Susan. These are our best friends. We are very close. We've travelled the world together, the four of us. Uh, we've lived in Spain together and in New Zealand. And when we returned from New Zealand after five years, Terry and Sue went back to uh, Sue's homeland, which is in South Wales, and... Um, we went back to Essex. We were delighted to hear that their eldest son, they have two sons, big Welsh rugby playing lads, their eldest son's wife was due to have a baby. But we heard the sad news that the baby is born blind. Now, it was very difficult for us because they are not the way we are. They haven't got the faith that we have, Wendy and I. And it was difficult when they asked us if we, you have a loving God, why does he allow this to happen? The only thing I said to them is, I don't know. But I do believe in God and I believe in everything is done for a reason. We must have faith in God and we must put our ideas and our, with what we believe behind us and give that little boy every advantage that God can give him. We have to pray. All our family, Wendy and I, my children, my friends, and I've asked a special prayer for my church in Braintree. And we prayed and prayed. And I asked Sue, Tim and Sue's family to pray. I think they, they weren't quite used to it, the praying, but they promised me they would. After about a year, the little boy is beginning to grow and beginning to uh, uh, crawl and walk. But it's very sad bumping into things and not seeing his way around. But then about a month ago, I got a wonderful phone call. Forgive me, because I do get emotional about this. I got a wonderful phone call saying that little boy is beginning to see. He can't see perfectly. At first he could see light. Then he could see shadows. And now he can pick out his shadows and an outline of his family. The doctors in Wales are astonished by his progress. Can you imagine how we all feel? It's a miracle. And you would think that that would be the end of the story. It doesn't get any better than that, you wouldn't think. But both those young lads, these big uh, Welsh rugby playing lads, 
have found themselves a Bible and have given since then given themselves to Christ. And they've asked me to go down Amen. and chat. And I, under lockdown, obviously, I can't. But I've recommended there's uh, Seventh-day Adventist Church in Combran, which is near them, and there's one in um, Cardiff. That is my story. It's just a story of the wonderful mercy, the grace, the power, and the love of God. Thank you. Amen. 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 Brother David, the Lord still, still performs miracles even today. And we shouldn't really be surprised, should we? No. Answered no. answer, answer prayer. And it's our time now to have corporate prayer. Uh, could I ask Sister Chanda if she would pray for us, please? And pray that um, the Lord will guide us and that when we, when we face problems in life, and we don't know the answers that we should always run to Jesus. He's the great healer. And maybe also be mindful of other people's uh, situations and always have a, uh, a loving spirit towards others as we uh, go through this life together. Uh, Sister Chanda, could you pray for us, please? Father in heaven, we, we want to thank you that you are the same yesterday and forevermore. Father, we magnify your name that you are a God who is compassionate, who is tender-hearted and good to us. Father, we want to thank you for the miracle, uh, the miracle that you perform every day. We want to thank you for the testimony, Father, that shows that you are still God and you are still on the throne. Jehovah God, we want to totally depend on you. We want to totally rely on you. And Jehovah God, our desire is to trust in you so that other people can know that we are your children and that you love them and through our lives that they may get to know you too. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 It's time for our closing song, In Christ Alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Found in the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace.
to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace today and forevermore. Amen. 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 Thank you everyone for being with us this evening. We pray that you will be being blessed and uplifted by the Spirit of God. Until we meet again tomorrow night, I'll bid you good night. Good night. Thank, thank you, you so thank you. Thank you, Pastor Wine. Thank you so much for your devotion. Uh, uh, church, tomorrow's speaker, Pastor uh, Ian Swinney, the British Union Conference President, he will be addressing us. So thank you so much. Uh, as you join at the right time, please continue to join even tomorrow. May the Lord bless you and give you peace. And once again, on behalf of you, I extend my thanks to Pastor Wayne Erasmus and his family. God bless you all. Amen. 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 Amen.